the readings from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and it's entitled Generosity Encouraged. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace of, that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as, they, as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then to us, in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by a completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there may be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality. As it is written, he that gathered much did not have too much, and he that gathered little did not have too little. Uh, if you've got your Bibles, please open them at, uh, at 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I want you to uh, check up what I'm saying, as always. So uh, Matt asked me to speak about money, <laughs> honestly. And, uh, and I've just explained to you that Vince is not here either. Uh, that wasn't uh, planned, of course. Um, but I mean, money is a bit of a taboo subject in some circles. Um, it's embarrassing. And uh, the church has a reputation that the church is always asking for money, which is bad, isn't it? But uh, it, is, it is the fact. Um, whenever money is mentioned, it's a kind of a guilt-inducing subject. Uh, and I don't intend to um, uh, do that. It's also a subject where money has been inappropriately used in so many different ways. Uh, you know, you've all, you've all come across some of the American super pastors uh, who are always, you know, demanding their tithes and, and are flying around in their private jets. And, you know, we, we've heard all those stories, haven't we? Uh, uh, the wealth of the church. Um, and although it's a bit of a taboo, embarrassing subject, uh, our society has a complete obsession with money, does it not? You just watch any sort of snatch of television and all the adverts about how you can save money, how you can win money, uh, how you can earn more money, um, how, you know, um, 
So what is this business all about money? Why do so many people, you know, go uh, to the, the uh, newsagent shop every week and, and spend their grocery money on, on tickets so they might win a lot of money? Um, you know, there's all sorts of questions about it. The first thing I want to say is that money is, is useful, money is neutral. Money is neither good nor bad. It's a, it's a fact of life. I mean, in the old days, we would have exchanged sheep. I mean, um, I mean Mel might have brought one of his cabbages, and I might have brought uh, one of my piglets, and we would have swapped them. But it's a bit inconvenient trading like that. So money is something that has been brought in in order to exchange uh, wealth. And, uh, and, and, and it, it, as the song goes, money makes the world go round. Well, it kind of does, in a sense, because a lot of things that happen in this world are powered or driven by money. Even if you want to do something really good, you've got to find a lot of money in order to do it. So the problems come when you've either got too little money, and that results in poverty, and there are a lot of people in our society, and if you go across the world, if you go to Romania or you go to Kenya or uh, other developing countries, you will find um, that there are some people, a lot of people, millions of people who are living on less than a dollar a day. If you imagine how you could manage your finances like that, it would be shocking. Um, uh, the other problem is if you have too much money, and then it's what you do with it, how you deal with being rich, how you manage your money, and in some cases, how you avoid paying the, paying the tax, which you, you should rightfully pay. Um, but the Bible sums it up in Proverbs 30. This lovely prayer. Give me neither riches nor poverty, but give me my daily bread. I mean, that's been my experience. I've never been rich. I've never been very poor. But I've always had bread on the table, uh, for which I'm very grateful. Um, and Paul, of course, who wrote this letter, uh, had learned the, the secret of being content. Even when he was in dire suffering and in dire need, or when he was actually in a good place, he said, I've learned to be content with every situation. Well, that's a real virtue, to be able to be content with where you are. Not always longing to be richer than you are, um, but Paul learned to be content. So it's Paul is that's written this letter to the church at Corinth, and as you'll know, he wrote two letters, well, probably at least two, because some scholars think that two Corinthians is actually a compilation of more than one letter uh, that he wrote and they've been put together. Uh, but he, he had correspondence with this church at Corinth, which is in the south part of Greece. And, and if you read the Corinthian letters, you'll know it was a lively church, a lot of gifted people, a lot of exciting things going on, but it was a church that was marked by division. For example, uh, last week we had the Lord's Supper, and in Corinth, the rich people were eating the food before the poor people got to it. I mean, what a shocking situation. The, uh, the table of the Lord, and as Matt explained last week, it's a levelling place where we all come on equal terms uh, for the grace. Uh, so there were all sorts of problems going on in Corinth. But uh, he, he begins his first letter with this. He gives thanks for the Corinthians for the grace given you in Christ. And he says, you have been enriched in every way, and not lacking any spiritual gifts. So basically, it was a rich church, 
in that sense. It was actually at a kind of a, um, a wealthy hub because Corinth was on a, an isthmus uh, and uh, it's like a, a big port. So it was quite a wealthy city. There was lots of commerce going on, um, but they had everything that they need and yet they were divided. So now we come to the second letter, which is where, we, where our reading is today. And in chapter eight, Paul writes to them specifically about money and giving and generosity. Uh, and he uses this lovely expression in verse seven. I want you to excel in the grace of giving. Isn't that good? Excel in the grace of giving. He doesn't say, I want you to be burdened by the, by the, the heavy weight of having to give. He says, I want you to excel in the grace of giving. And in order to encourage them, he writes to them about the Macedonian churches. Now, now Macedonia is a separate country now, but in those days, Macedonia was the northern part of Greece. So we talked about Philippi and Thessalonica up in the north part of, of Greece there, uh, those two churches and others. He writes to the Corinthian church about them. He says, look at your brothers and sisters in the north. He said, out of their most severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty resulted in rich generosity. That doesn't seem possible, does it? That out of extreme, uh, severe trials and extreme poverty, that the joy that welled up made them generous. That's, that's incredible. So the grace of giving is not about rich people being able to give lots of their spare money away to the poor people. Um, you will find, if you go to uh, places like Kenya, um, where you probably stand out, most of us, because we're white-faced, and a lot of people will, in the cities will come up to you and start talking to you, welcome to Kenya, and then they will, they will tell you these incredible stories about what they're doing, um, and, uh, and, and this ministry that they've got, and then, of course, it always gets round to, and could you give us some money for this uh, and that's because the colonial legacy of the, the, the British occupation of Kenya and other places means that the, the, the low Kenyans look to white people as benefactors who give out money. So I'm afraid wherever you go in the world, if you're British or you're American, or, um, people will look at you and say, you're rich, uh, you should give me some money, um, which is quite difficult. Um, so, um, but these people were not rich, they were poor. Um, and, and he goes on to say, they gave as much as they were able and beyond. <laughs> ah, can you go beyond what you're able? Well, actually, Paul is saying, yes, they did. Um, and so the first key word, I think, in this passage is generosity. Generosity. Now, um, when, uh, when uh, Karen and I have been to Kenya a few times, and, and we are planning to go next October, so if there's anybody that is interested in joining us, um, and Glynis is hoping to go as well, do come and talk to us about that. Um, I went to visit this, this village um, where they were having a water aid project to improve their spring, because their, their supply for the village was just this little muddy stream and the water aid were going to make it into a proper well to get clean water. And um, so I got invited back for lunch uh, at their hut, and they weren't really expecting me. So they always provide uh, ugali and beans and cabbage. That, that's basically their, their lunch. 
But for me, they cooked an egg. Because I was kind of like the visitor. Um, and now, I know Karen started up a knitting group, and when she went uh, for her last visit there, um, they, they gave her a chicken. So Karen came back on, on, on this uh, bike with, with, with a chicken under her arm. Um, we were going to have some difficulty getting it through customs on the way home, so we did give it to our chef. A, li a live chicken? Oh yes, it was a live chicken. It wouldn't have gone off. Um, but that's, that's incredible generosity. Um, uh, when we went to the Czech Republic uh, with, a, with our church, some people from our church, we got invited into this widow's home in one of these big communist flats. And, and she, for some reason, she seemed to think that it would be the right thing to offer all of our visitors brandy before the meal. I don't know where she got that from, but she'd actually gone out and bought some brandy in order to give what she thought was a blessing for us. And we don't normally drink brandy, but we were very grateful. And then in Bulgaria, uh, we went to visit this very remote farm and uh, he, he didn't have tractors and things. He only had a donkey pulling his cart and he gave us a whole cheese uh, from his farm. I mean, that is generosity from people, from the poor, giving to the rich, which, you know, I think uh, is incredible. And, and that's what Jesus noted when that widow uh, was seen in the temple bringing her offering and all the rich people were coming in and flashing their checkbooks and uh, or their debit cards or whatever they had in those days. Um, and this woman comes in and drops a couple of copper coins. And Jesus says, those rich people gave out of their plenty. They didn't miss that. You know, they could give a thousand pounds without even, even making a dent in their bank account. But she has given her last few coppers, all she had to live on. That is generosity. But I do want to say that God loves rich people and poor people. There's not an anti-rich thing in, in the Bible. In fact, the riches are seen as a blessing. Um, that you know, it's a blessing from God if, if you are if you are rich, and God loves you exactly the same as He does poor people. And so, people like Bill Gates, who've made an absolute fortune through his Microsoft Corporation, uh, have now turned over to philanthropic work and uh, have given billions and billions of, of pounds and dollars to things like eradicating malaria and, and that kind of thing. And of course, if you are wealthy, you can do a lot, but more is expected of you. And so um, Paul goes on to say that the, the Macedonians up north urgently pleaded for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. Please, please can we give money? It's a completely different attitude, isn't it, to what we expect from the kind of making you all feel guilty so you put your hand in see what you've got in your pocket. And in Philippians 4, uh, Paul writes about his thanks to the church for their generous gifts to him. His, they were probably his favourite church. And then in verse 7, he says, I want you, Macedonians, uh, to, uh, I beg your pardon, I want you, Corinthians, to excel in the grace of giving. Excel in the grace of giving. Not a command, he says, this is not something, it's not like a te the 11th commandment. It's, it's uh, testing the sincerity of your love. So if you love someone, you will give uh, to that person and you will be generous. And then the key verse right in the middle of this passage, verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That's incredible, isn't it? We're rich. Even if actually you don't have any money at all and you're in debt, whatever, we are rich in Christ. That's at the heart of the, That is the motivation for this. So the generosity is motivated by something. You've got to have motivation, haven't you, to be generous. It doesn't come from nowhere. You're motivated by loving Jesus. And he says in verse 5, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us. So love God, love your neighbour. Yeah, and, and that's, where, that's where it comes from. But the third thing, so there's generosity, motivation, is need. Um, you see, there's an awful lot of need in the world. There's an awful lot of need just, you know, e even in our village uh, and, and our towns around here, there is need. Um, but Paul says equality is not becoming poor. He doesn't want everyone to become poor. He wants equality. So that the, uh, then he goes on to say that so at the moment, your plenty can supply their need so that in the future, their need, their plenty might supply your need. It's not that you give in order to get. It's just that if everybody thought like this, uh, there would be no need in the world because we would all actually share and everyone would have enough. That would be a utopian thing, wouldn't it? And that was kind of what was happening in the early church um, when they, they shared everything together and everyone had, all their needs were met. Um, it's kind of the, I think, the understanding behind what communism is meant to be about, that actually it's about sharing things around, but communism has become something very, very different to that, uh, about powerful people controlling other people. Um, and then Paul uh, uses an Old Testament illustration at the end of this passage, in Exodus 16, uh, about the manna in the desert. They really were all in the same boat there, weren't they? None of them had anything. Um, and every night the manna came down and they went out and they collected as much as they needed. He who needed a lot, collected a lot. He who needed not much, collected a small amount. And everybody had enough. The people who gathered much didn't have too much and the people who gathered little didn't have too little. And the people that tried to collect too much, it went mouldy. So there's a, there's a lesson there, isn't there? You know, that, that, is, that is going from saying, I've had my needs met, moving to greed. And there's a big difference between our needs and our wants and greed and need. And there's a lovely expression that's being com that's coined, I think it's in a book called Rich Christians in an Age of, Poverty, an Age of Hunger. And it's, uh, live simply so that others may simply live. It's a really good saying, live simply so that others may simply live. Okay, so that's, all, that's the theology. I've just got a few practical questions. And I'm only raising them as questions. Okay. First of all, does God call me to give away all my money? Well, he did to one young man. He did uh, to the rich young ruler, uh, who asked how he could get salvation and uh,
Jesus said to him, well, actually, you've done all the commandments. You, although, if you read that carefully, <laughs> the, the, the rich ruler says, I've obeyed all the commandments, and he lists them, but he misses out one. He misses out coveting. If you read that, he, he says, that, yes, I've, I've done that. I haven't murdered anyone. I've not lied. Uh, um, but, of course, coveting is the 10th commandment, and it's the kind of key to a lot of the other ones. Um, and, and Jesus said, okay, you've done all that. All you need to do now is give all your money away and um, give it to the poor, and then you can enter the kingdom. And at that, the rich young man went away empty because he loved money. And uh, in actual fact, I meant to say at the beginning of my notes that the key verse in Timothy is such a, a misquoted verse uh, that the, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But actually, so many people just say uh, money is the root of evil. It isn't. Uh, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So it's loving money which actually is, is the danger. And that's effectively the first commandment because that's, it says you should love the Lord your God. It's, it's idolatry if we love money more than God. Um, so in the case of that rich young ruler, Jesus did tell him to give it all away. And we all know Christian people over the centuries who have done that. But in Acts chapter 4, they all from time to time sold fields and houses and land and then they distributed it to the poor. That was what was meant to happen. In chapter 5, there's this one couple who came and put their money on the table and, um, and, and they pretend that they've given all their money, um, but actually Peter sees through it and says, well, is this all of your money that you got from the field? And they say, yes. They were telling a lie. So, um, and Ananias and Sophia, they, they just both dropped down dead. I mean, that must be pretty bad. I mean, if the old preacher uh, asks you a question, you tell a lie, you drop down dead. That is power, that is. Um, but the point of that was not that they didn't give all their money, but that they, tried, they pretended that they did. They were pretending to be very generous, but actually they were only being quite generous. And there's nothing wrong with being quite generous. If they'd come and said, uh, we've sold our field and we're putting half of it for you and we're going to keep half for our... There wouldn't have been a problem with that at all. So the answer is, does God call me to give away all my money? Maybe, <laughs> but not most people. Uh, it, it, it is sometimes he does. Um, but in my case, no. What about missionaries who live by faith? Now, you often hear this, don't you? <clears throat> People who've gone out as missionaries and they basically give up their jobs and they live by faith. So, therefore, they're totally reliant on other people giving them money and supporting them. What about that? Who is living by faith? I'm not knocking that because that's a very bold thing to do. But actually, if that person lives by faith, it means that that person over there has to have faith to know that God has asked him to give money. So they're living on other people's faith as well. And so um, it's always uh, a corporate thing. And that's why uh, the BMS, uh, Baptist Mission Society, if they call somebody to go to be sent under BMS as a missionary to another country, the BMS corporately, our family, including us, will support them. 
they won't have to go round looking for their own support because it's part of the faith of the family that supports them. Yeah? Uh, and um, whereas I know many missionaries have been completely abandoned in countries because they, you know, their support base is gone. So, you know, we've got to be wise and we've got to not put people on pedestals. Oh, they're living by faith, but yeah, but who's, where's that money coming from? Uh, I mean, people like George Muller, of course, did that, and, and, but, but he had a support base and amazing work was done with all those um, orphans. Okay, um, when Karen and I, in 1993, I was, uh, felt called to give up my uh, teaching job, and I, I was at the top of, the top of scale D in teaching, and um, uh, we, we felt called to go as a student minister. It meant actually taking a 75% pay cut. Now, I, but we did it because we felt God was calling us to do it. Now, to be fair, um, there, there, I did, we did get house provided, so that makes a, a fair bit of difference. But we did it. And you know, in those times since we've been a minister, we have never lacked anything. Um, and I can tell you that uh, Paul, when Paul says, my God will supply our needs, he has. Uh, and he's done it in various different ways. Okay, next question. How much should we give? <clears throat> well, um, in the Old Testament, it talks about tithes, and it always talks, uh, one of the tithes, the basic one, is, is 10%. It seems to be a, a fair amount, doesn't it? And, and that's certainly a principle. But I, I want to say... But the Bible does not indicate in the Old Testament that 10% is the limit of your giving. It actually says that as a good starting point, if you look at your income and you give 10% to God, seeking first God, and then see where he leads you, uh, he will provide. However, I am absolutely want to make a point that there are some people for whom 10% would be very difficult. Uh, the people who are living like a single mum, maybe on, on benefits. Uh, we cannot apply this, but I'm just saying as a biblical principle, that's a good starting point um, about our giving. Now, then I mentioned the word need. Uh, people will give if there is a need. If there's no need, I wouldn't give money if there's no need. And I remember Karen and I being in a church meeting in Bromham when the church was about to vote on a project to build a new church building which was going to cost £600,000 and it was in the early 1990s, so it's a lot of money. And the church secretary stood at the front of the church and he said, if you're going to put your hand up and say yes to this project, on average, everyone's going to have to give five times as much as they are now. And do you know, that building was built and paid for within a few years. So if there's a need, we, we hadn't been given perhaps as much as we could have done. But when we saw that there was a need, we felt more generous because we saw the need. Now, uh, actually, John, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we won't get into the whole argument about um, whether the 10% is your gross or your net income. Because once you get into that argument, you're bargaining with God to say, how little can I get away with? Uh, I mean, it really, we don't, we won't, just won't, won't go there. It, it, we're looking at guidelines here. Um, uh, John Wesley said this, earn as much as you can, keep what you need, 
give the rest away. Earn as much as you can. There's nothing wrong with earning a lot of money. Keep what you need. Give the rest away. But then the last question is this, give it to whom? Well, obviously, if we are members of a church, we will want to uh, give our uh, support as part of our commitment to that church, uh, to the church, because there is a ministry here. We support one another as brothers and sisters. We support the ministry that goes on and all, all the work of the church. That's it. But then I'm sure most of you uh, have got other charities and things that you would want to support. So, for example, Karen and I support work in Kenya. We sponsor a couple of children. We're also keen on environmental things. That's where our, part of our passion is. There's one or two environmental charities that we support. And, you know, and then when the war in Ukraine, there's all sorts of other needs, aren't there? Uh, and um, if you're able, um, there are plenty of other places. You, maybe even your next door neighbour is in need, in which case you help your next door neighbour, don't you? Charity begins at the home. Um, so this is where I'm leaving it. Generosity flows from Christ's generosity. The motivation flows from Christ's love and grace. So if we are Christians, we give ourselves first to the Lord and that motivates everything that we do. And then the last thing, the needs of God's will. When we look at the needs of God's will, we can't give to every appeal. You know, when the chuggers come up to you, do you know the chugger, charity mugger? And they come up to you and, and they want you to sign up to give £2 to their charity. I'm sure they're fantastic charities, many of them. But, you know, you can't do it. You have to sit down with God and say, what, this is how much you've given me, Lord. What do you, what do we need? Uh, what do you want me to do with it? And like those three people in the story, we will be asked to give account to the, for the 500, the 200, the, the 100, or even the 10,000 lay for a loaf of bread, uh, like the widows might, um, what we do with it. So, um, I hope that wasn't too guilt-inducing. <laughs> um, but we need to look at our, uh, all that we have in the light of all that we've been given by Christ, and we need to respond with all of our heart, soul, mind, strength, and wallet in terms of how we live. So there is actually there um, a, a, a bit of a, a challenge to the church leadership here. Uh, and Matt's not here today, but, but leaders is not just minister. If a church has got a vision, people will support it. If they can see where there is a need for the support, the money, then people will give. If there isn't, um, then they won't. That's as simple as that. I know so many churches that have, have folded because they've got a lot of money in the bank. Little churches, they've, they've got a big investment, so they don't too bothered about money, and therefore they close. And uh, yeah, goodness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, that was Glynis was saying that um, ten year, ten plus years ago, eleven years ago, um, the vision was to build the stable. Um, actually, that was provided for by 
a church that had closed and those funds came through within the family of God and um, they raised 351 pounds for Macmillan on one day so that was yeah that was yeah so that's a, a very good example of, of having a vision 